Amen, brother. It's episode 40 of For Our Edification. Thank you for joining For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis. For Our Edification is brought to you by Edify Ventures, LLC. Brand strategy for your people and you. Learn more at edifyventuresnola.com. Also, past episodes of For Our Edification can be found at eddiefrancis.com, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, you got something on your mind? Then go ahead and email me, eddie at eddiefrancis.com. I would love to share a comment that you send me with the folks listening to the podcast only if it's a good one bad ones i throw those away no i'm joking uh so this episode well i'm kind of sort of joking this episode episode 40 very special because my friend my fraternity brother ansel augustine joins us and he is someone who um, has some really really interesting insights about how faith drives his personal leadership uh, as and and also how he definitely gives back to people but how it spreads to other people. Ansel's an Emmy-nominated producer. He produced the documentary Black Faith Matters. He's also an award-winning author. His books include Leveling the Praying Field, Can the Church We Love Love Us Back, also the African-American Catholic Youth Bible, and Sunday Prayer for Teens. He's a speaker. He has spoken literally to millions of youth, and he is also an educator. He's on faculty for the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier University of Louisiana, also Graduate Theological Foundation, and finally, our alma mater, Loyola University, New Orleans Institute for Ministry. He's been in prison ministry for 25 years. And um, also, as I mentioned, we're frat brothers of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. He's also a member of the Knights of Columbus, the Knights of Peter Claver, the Wild Chapatulas, yeah, as an Mardi Gras Indians in New Orleans. And he's also an associate member of the Sisters of the Holy Family here in New Orleans. All right, here's that conversation with Ansel. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. Welcome back to For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis, and I am pleased to be joined by somebody who is a friend. He is a brother. Ansel, do you realize that um, as of next year, we will have known each other 30 years? Yes, indeed. You had hair, and we were both a little similar, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You had the uh, super smooth thing going with the hair, you know? Uh, So... Man, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and uh, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell folks what I texted to you was I don't know why I never thought about having you on a podcast before because, in all seriousness, brother, you are you are such a strong voice. Uh, you have a great story. Your passion for the people you work with and and the way you serve people is awesome. I, and I mean, just on a personal level, man. Um, the stuff that you've done for me, you know, whether you've done it directly or indirectly, it's always meant a lot to me. So, brother, I love you, and it's, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. And and I love you, too. And just so the listeners know, Eddie is like a big brother to me. So, uh, you know, I follow in his footsteps. So anything you say I'm great, I see you as greater, and I follow you. So thank you, brother. Oh, man, you got it. So we talked about in, in the uh, intro, I talked about the fact that you have – dedicated so much of your life and your work to ministry, to spirituality, to faith. So, you know, you know, how did, first of all, how'd you even get into this path and what drew you to, 
to the way that you actually do the work that you do? I guess it's a weird way to ask a question, but yeah, what, no. what, what constantly draws you into it? Amen. Well, you know, first of all, it goes back to, you said 30 years ago, we connected and that was at the radio station, you know, yeah. and I was an intern doing my thing. And then we became brothers in the same fraternity and just different things that led into that lifestyle. So about my junior year in, uh, in undergrad, uh, two of my mentors, Father Michael Jacques, pastor at St. Peter Claver Church, and um, who passed, um, unfortunately, and also uh, who passed Sister Eva Regina Martin, who ran the Sisters of the Holy Family, Order of Black Nuns here in New Orleans, um, asked me to chaperone a lock-in at St. Peter Claver. Well, it was a citywide lock-in, but they wanted me to help chaperone the St. Peter Claver boys. They didn't have enough male chaperones. And so I'm there, and you know, I had no sleep, but I had probably the best time of my life in a long time. And so next thing I know is I'm trying to find rides from uptown to downtown so I could be a U group on Wednesday night. Um, and it just built over time. And then Mike said, you know, you can get paid for this. You could be a youth minister. I said, I did not know that. And so <laughs> next thing I knew, I changed my major from mass communications to sociology and then eventually went into the master's program at Loyola and Xavier. And you know, that's all she wrote. And the next thing I was the youth minister at St. Peter Claver. And, you know, having those young people around me, giving back to them and the community like the community gave to me um, just meant a lot. You know, I didn't know, you know, you only know what you know. And so just being exposed to that and then also using that opportunity to expose the young people from the neighborhood. And it grew. You grew. You know, we had people from all over the city and suburbs mm -hmm. coming to, you know, you group on Wednesday night. And, you know, I would bring them to Loyola. I would bring them to Xavier events. I would bring them to stuff outside so they could see a world outside of their own. You know, trips, it was the biggest headache. I would come back stressed or whatever because everybody wanted to act bad and wanted to go run off or whatever. But I would take them out of the city, you know, just so they could see something else and, you know, help uh, develop their dreams and their goals to be otherworldly. And now I guess a testament to that is many of them now are in ministry doing the same type of work that I was doing. Mm. Yeah, you know, is so so just so the listeners know, it is not uncommon. First of all, it's hard to walk two feet with Ansel sometimes. You know, you go places with this dude and it's just like, hey, Mr. Ansel. <laughs> so, you know, and everybody, all these all these kids who are now adults. I mean, yeah, you, you're right. Like some of these folks are like 30, some 40, some years old, maybe. And so they have their own kids making me. Feel yeah. Old. And they got their own kids and that stuff. So it's so funny when Ansel was like, yeah, them's are my children. Them's my children too. Them's are my children. So, um, oh, well, I don't know. I don't, they'll come to me and I don't recognize them because now they got beards oh, or hair yeah. or, you know, they're grown and, you know, so yeah, yeah, it's just different. Yeah. So, so I got to ask you this. It, it, usually when people are drawn to doing this sort of thing, they see some of themselves mm -hmm. in the people that they're working with. Do you see some of yourself in oh, some yeah. of the the people you've worked with over time? Oh, yeah. You know, and lately, unfortunately, the reality of New Orleans being uh, number one for mass incarceration and the yeah. school the prison pipeline being what it is, especially since Hurricane Katrina, you know, I've seen a lot of young people that have, mental health issues or are in need of mentorship or different things. And that's something I crave, you know, mm -hmm. growing up, mm. you know, New Orleans being the city that it is, you know, whether I was living here or Texas, 
you know, other parts of this, you know, country, wherever it was, um, I always looked out for, I need guidance. You know, mm -hmm. you're going up in this world, you know, if all you're being um, raised by is, you know, as a latchkey kid, BET or MTV, you know, you're thinking that's what real life is. But then you walk out in the streets, it's a totally different thing, you know. And then even when you go into college, you know, Loyola was a eye-opening experience for me. And it was the first place mm -hmm. I felt safe and settled. Let me just put it like that. You know, stability in yeah. regards to, you know, a dorm, housing, food on a regular basis. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, I see a lot of um, instability, especially with our young people that have, that have come through the door. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And that's the ones that I feel like, let me do my best you know, wherever it is, you know, whether it was at Peter Claver, whether it was at the Archdiocese, whether it was at Loyola Xavier, you know, campus ministry, prison ministry, whatever it is, how can I create a safe space in this moment so this person walks away feeling like, okay, that's someone that cares about me. Let me make sure that my decisions don't make them uh, disappointed in me, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of, what's the word, uh, temptation out there in this world, especially mm -hmm. in this city where people have made the wrong decisions because they're running with the wrong crew, but hopefully we can create a network and environment where people can say, look, let me think to make a different decision because that's someone that actually cares about me. So that's mm -hmm. what I've tried to do because that's what's kept me out of trouble. I find it interesting that you say that at some point you craved mental health, um, you know, during your upbringing. So mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit. What was it that you really, really wanted to address that you found a need to, or you found an opportunity to address in the, the kids that you've helped out? I think for me, Eddie, and we've talked about this, you know, in my mm -hmm. time with you as my big brother growing up and just expressing certain things, you created that safe space when I was trying to figure out why I was at Loyola and did I belong there kind of thing. Um, was growing up, I felt like I did not belong anywhere. You know, mm. moving from here to there, being, you know, almost um, treated in certain spaces, whether I was not good enough for church folk, not, you know, uh, wild enough for the hood folk, you know, and, you know, in my, <laughs> even my circle, you know, they were out there wilding and I was the good moral person of the clique, you know, the, you know, the nerd that they picked on, you know, kind of thing, but I was still in, connected, you know, unfortunately mm -hmm. all of them are dead and gone for, for, um, the real various reasons. And so for me, you know, when I look at the mental health piece, you know, um, the sense of where is my safe space? You know, um, and I think that's what people crave. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Where is my space where I can authentically be me? Not put on airs, not be stressed about what these people are thinking or if they're going to talk about me or hate on me afterwards, because I grew up around that. Um, and so for me, creating that type of um, environment wherever I'm at is important to me. Mm. You're listening to For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis, and we're talking to uh, my boy, uh, my brother, Ansel Augustine, and we are talking um, about the power of of faith and the, the power of that faith developing you so that you can develop others. And with that being said, what do you do to keep yourself mentally, emotionally on top? Because, I mean, dealing with, dealing with any kind of ministry, you know, mm. dealing with any purpose-driven work man you you have to be on all the time that's the way i felt working in higher education that that is very much purpose-driven work and i felt like i had to be on all the time what keeps you going well if i can be honest church folk can sometimes be the worst folk um yeah. judgment <laughs> uh, criticism, yeah. you know we, we preach you know everybody's welcome but but you got to look and act like this kind of thing and there were many times that 
I felt that my young people were judged or hated on because they came in their authentic form, you know, whether it was to you group or whenever I bring them anywhere. And so for me, sometimes I get the backlash of it. I have a doctorate, but yet I receive all kind of backlash. Like I'm still not welcome in certain places because I haven't um, fit into the mold of what that structure wants me yeah. to be. Yet, you know, with the Emmy nomination or the book awards and all these things that are there, I don't think I'm better than anybody, but I know that certain people aren't better than me, if that makes sense. So I belong mm -hmm. wherever, and this is a faith piece. If God brings me to a space, I belong there, you know? Mm. And it took me a while to understand uh, that because of, like I said, the mental health stuff I dealt with growing up that I didn't belong anywhere. And so I try to create that type of confidence, not arrogance, but confidence in the young mm -hmm. people that are around me. Look, if God is bringing you somewhere, there's a reason you are there. Um, so don't be afraid to be there. Um, so for me, how do I take care of myself? Sometimes take a break from the church folk and focus on the <laughs> message of church itself. Um, and then for me, um, and you know this, I love getting in the gym and lifting weights and relieving my stress in that way. Um, you know, because sometimes people be in there, you know, and it's funny, the joke in the gym, they call me preach or rev. You know, they think I'm an ordained minister, which I'm not. I'm just a community <laughs> advocate, youth worker type thing. I'm not a bishop or anything like that or deacon or anything. But they'll be like, rev, man. What's going on? You strong today? I said, church dress. And I'll just leave it at that and they'll just start laughing and we'll just go on with our workout and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you got to take it out in those ways so you don't take it out in other ways. And also, for me, and those of y'all that are in New Orleans or the Gulf Coast area, y'all know about uh, the black masking, Mardi Gras Indians. That's a culture I'm a part of. So just being a part of that culture, especially during carnival time, is crunch time. We got, as of today, this recording, we got uh one week until mighty Gras days so we hit one the week dope. exactly so, yeah so, so it's crunch time so sewing and drumming and doing the stuff that our elders and ancestors have done for generations is also important to me as a way of relieving stress and uh as you say edifying myself to continue the journey that i need to do so mm. making sure i make myself a priority as i do with everybody else which i haven't done because you know you coming into ministry you know you think you want to save the world and change the world when the reality is you get beat up for changing their bulletin. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, so you got to come in with the, with the, you know, the naivety falls off and you see the reality, the really the underbelly of the beast and mm -hmm. you want to take care of yourself. So for as, any young people aspiring to do community work or just any work in general, not about being selfish, but making yourself a priority so that you can do the work mm -hmm. that you're trying to do as well is important. And it took me a long time to realize that. And in fact, I'm still learning that lesson in some points. <laughs> I have to tell you, man, you know, my, my dad was the most giving person. Amen. I mean, we'll give you, him, we'll give you the shirt off his back. You remember him. And he was the one person who told me, he was like, boy, you got to be selfish sometimes. <laughs> and it, it sounded so weird at the time. Um, of course I understand it now, but, mm -hmm. um, that is the thing that is so, Again, that's the that's the thing that's so interesting about purpose driven work and mission driven work is trying to figure out when is that time to be selfish? You know, mm -hmm. when when do you take that time to yourself and you say, OK, let me decompress uh, in my case from all these students, all these professors, you know, all these administrators. Um, when do I decompress from them? And 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 here's the part that was really interesting for me and not feel guilty about it. Cause you know, people Amen. will make you feel as if oh you God. were committing the worst sin in the world. If you walk away for even an hour to go take care of yourself. 
Yeah, well, you know, and, and that's the funny thing is, like I was talking about, church people think, like, I got to remind, I'm not Jesus, no. You know, uh, <laughs> and he took rest too, you know. Yeah, exactly, um, I was about to say, he took rest. <laughs> but, you know, even like last week, um, you know, we're in the, like I said, we're in the midst of getting ready for Mardi Gras. But last week, um, this is just external ministry stuff, not my regular job stuff. But my mentor, not my mentor, my former supervisor from the Archdiocese of Washington, who became the Bishop of Homa Thibodeau less than a year ago, died mm-hmm. of a liver issue. So mm-hmm. I rode out to Homa Wednesday for his wake because I couldn't go to his funeral on Thursday because I was doing uh, the opening prayer for the mayor's ecumenical prayer breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. So I get back in town Wednesday evening. I have this text on my phone and there's a picture of a, a letter and I'm zooming in trying to read it. Come to find out it's a suicide note from a student that was being bullied at his school by not only the students, but the teachers. And so the committee and the parents wanted to talk. And mind you, I just driven in. So I'm on this thing. And they wanted to meet Thursday with the school and asked if I could come. I said, y'all, I can't come. I got to do this other thing. I trust y'all to handle it. Um, But I was on that call falling asleep. And it came to the point after an hour and a half of being on this call. I'm like, look, y'all, I got to. I got to get off this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm zoning out. You know, I'm not good. Here's my yeah. thoughts. Follow up, you know? And so I think what I'm learning, Eddie, and you've, you've been, you've, or you showed me this over the years, um, told me about this, you know, because of all the stuff I was getting involved in at uh, Loyola uh, during my undergrad, you said, Ansel, it's okay to say no, you know? Um, and so for me, there's a way to be involved um, and also, you know, do certain things without actually being, um, you know, immediately present, you know, and that's, yeah. and that took, yeah. to, I've trained certain people, young people or whatever, or even being a community resource, hey, you need to call such and such. And I'll text that person, look out for a call from such, this is what's happening, you know, because we can't be the be all end all. I'm not trying to die from doing the good work, you know, although, right. you know, that's a noble death, but at the end of the day, I'd like to live a little longer and see a couple more Mardi Gras and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, we definitely want to see you some more Mardi Gras and, so, you know, <clears throat> there was something uh, that you mentioned in talking about youth um, and talking about the fact that sometimes their authenticity is not accepted, even even in the church sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and I know that one of the things that's become much more important to you is diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, why is that? What is it about DEI that has become so much more important to you as you've been on your journey? I think it's always been important, but I just never had the terminology for it until recently, you know, mm. the DEI terminology, you know, whether it was at uh, Loyola, which is a predominantly white institution mm. at the time holding uh, sit-ins for uh, racial issues that went on on campus, whether it was being called the N-word by a white sorority during an event that we were stepping at, you know, I'm a, you know, our fraternity. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And I didn't think I was going to graduate. That was two weeks before graduation. Or even my sophomore year when uh, the white fraternity from Tulane, which is across the street, was passing out racist flyers on Martin Luther King Day. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of us went to the fraternity house like idiots. This was before social media. So nobody was there to record anything. So I don't know what we were going to do when we went to the house. But we went there and, you know, the press conference was held afterwards or whatever. But raising awareness of social disparities and racial uh, issues, you know, in those spaces. And that's flowed into my work, whether it was coordinator of Black Youth and Young Adult Ministries for the Archdiocese of New Orleans, trying Mm -hmm. to um, level the playing field for our youth ministers from the Black Catholic churches so they can get a foot in the door for their young people. 
the work I did at St. John's University as the camp, one of the campus ministers there, um, or even coming back here running the Office of Black Catholic Ministries for the Archdiocese of New Orleans. It's always been that. And for me, coming from a spiritual aspect, if from a Christian perspective specifically, if we are all truly made in the image and likeness of God, then we all truly need the same opportunities as everybody else. And to me, there's a faith issue and a justice issue is why that's important to me. Mm. You're listening to For Our Edification, I'm Eddie Francis, and we're talking to uh, Dr. Ansel Augustine, uh, my good brother. And um, so <laughs> one of the things, so so I'm going to let the audience in on a really funny story about you, Ansel. <laughs> okay, so well. when when I had no idea when I met Ansel that he was from New Orleans, no, no earthly idea, because Ansel had come to New Orleans, to Loyola, and I was a student at Loyola. So he comes to uh, Loyola from Texas. Mm-hmm. So he has all this Dallas Cowboys crap on, right? <laughs> so he comes, he comes, and in the process of him becoming one of my frat brothers, I was just like, yo, man, you're going to have to lose, you lose that blue and white, okay? I don't care, I don't care about the, I hate the Cowboys, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, it's blue and white. You got to get rid of this stuff. <laughs> <And> so... <laughs> But the, the thing that was that's been so funny to watch it was, because of the way I met you and where you were coming from is, is you have these people, they come from a city and then you have these people who celebrate the cities that they come from. And you definitely celebrate being originally from New Orleans. And but and it's always it's always a part of you. I noticed that. So yeah. how does that celebration of being from New Orleans, how does that feed into who you are? Right. Well, uh, let me be clear. So, not being a Cowboys fan, but an Emmett Smith fan. All right. Okay, that that's fine. He was still blue and white, though. That's yeah, my point. Right, I'm no, right. All right. Emmett is all right. Emmett is all right. I can. I can. I, I get Emmett, that. Emmett is all right. Emmett and Dion. That's what I wore. It was, you know. So let me be clear. That's why I loved uh, those two players. But anyway, <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, the crap I got coming back home with that craziness was funny. But. Um, <laughs> But I think for me, you know, like I said, I've lived spaces and places, other places and spaces, but New Orleans is a space I've grown and have spent most of my life, you know, and it's home. And I think for me, what we have been through um, and what I've experienced here, whether it's the growth, the culture, whatever, but I think for me, my turning point, Eddie, um, of really repping home was Hurricane Katrina when I realized everything could be lost, you know, and then coming back, Living in Peter Claver Church, you know, Father Mike uh, asked me to stay in the church and gut it out during the day. Um, you know, this was still before people were allowed to move home and yeah. um, rebuilding, you know, and stuff like that for the contractor to come in. You know, that sense of, I hate to use the word resiliency because you get tired of being resilient and I'm tired now. You know, even the, uh, what's they call it? Racial fatigue, always talking about racism yeah. and always doing the race stuff is tiring as well. But we look at what our ancestors went through. And so when you look at the history of Congo Square, when you look at the history of uh, uh, Homer Plessy, you know, people like A.P. Turo, uh, Leah Chase, who was our church member and like a a maternal figure to me, you know, what they sacrificed, who am I to do any less? And that's what the spirit of New Orleans that carries with me, knowing Mm -hmm. I stand on the shoulders of these folks um, and who am I to do any less? So even now, here we are, 2024, uh, Katrina, August uh, will be uh, 19 years since Katrina, right? And now, but yet we are having all these spouts of violence from these youth and young adults that grew up, 
you know, either they were affected by Katrina or grew up in post New Orleans Katrina. And the first thing that was cut at the budget, remember, was mental health. And so, and I talked about this as a youth minister. I'm like, what are we going to do? Why are they cutting this? This is our families, tragedies that are coming in. You group went from 60 young people on Wednesday nights to over 95, you know, in that small building. But yet we were trying to deal with whatever they needed while I was homeless, you know, and that doesn't mean I'm some saint or anything like that, but it was just, these are the realities that were never really addressed. And so we're, Mm -hmm. you know, harvesting the fruit of those seeds that were planted, you know, um, you know, uh, from those times that are there as well. So for me as a youth minister, uh, I put on for my city, wherever I go speaking nationally, um, you know, the books that I write, whatever it is, because I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for the experience that I had here. And, um, like I said, the elders, uh, the ancestors are important to me, but I also, and God rest this space. It was my favorite place in the city, St. Peter Claver elementary school. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to show the young people, if Mr. Answer can do it, you could do it too. You know, I was tutoring there, volunteering there, whatever it is. And so now I do that in other ways throughout the city. But I think that's what's important to me. And that's why I carry it. The older folks and the young people. That's what holds me together. I, 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 learned, to like, I learned to love New Orleans a lot more after living in DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth for six and a half years. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and don't get me wrong. It was a great experience. I met some way cool people in dfw i mean some of the most important people in my career and my life are in dfw you know there's one in particular i can think of right now but the thing about it is that and and i heard this this was actually in a marketing campaign that a a marketing uh, campaign planning process that i was uh, involved in where someone from outside of new orleans said you know new orleans has this way of celebrating the human condition and the human spirit um and that's what I'm hearing in your answer. Like this, just mm-hmm. just all this celebration of humanity, but then also the deep history of the city, where we are very, very cognizant mm-hmm. of what it is that we need to do to continue legacies, and 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 what we need to do to correct legacies, and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Living in a place like Dal- Dallas is just. It's too brand spanking new sometimes. <laughs> like, it's, it's, just, business, right? it's not. It's nice and shiny, but it's just like eh, it doesn't yeah. quite have the soul, you know. And and that grit, those crooked streets and potholes, streets and dips and all that stuff, we hate it. The former, but it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how it makes us. It makes us who we are, though. You know, having to go through all of that stuff. Right. You know, like what. We just had a flood a couple of days ago with the heavy rain because the pumps weren't working. And they're saying it's because of the stuff they put in the catch basins to protect the beads from going in. But that caused the flooding that caused Mardi Gras parades to be moved is all kind of stuff. But we But and that's funny. It's like we wouldn't want we just we wouldn't want to be anything anywhere else. You know, I was actually, um, you know, so so quick sports detour. I was actually telling friends of mine who were from Detroit, I was like, man, I root for the Lions because Detroit, I was like, I just feel, I feel y'all getting closer. And I want y'all to have that same celebration we had because New Orleans and Detroit are so much alike in some ways. Um, And I was just like, man, I'm rooting for y'all. I'm rooting for y'all. I want the Lions to win the Super Bowl so bad. (laughs) Yeah, man, yeah. I think that was the same thing. It's almost the city that Karen forgot. You know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, you can see some of the thing, and I see it. I saw it when I lived in D.C. when I would go to Baltimore because yeah. some of the youth ministry friends I had mm-hmm. were over there, and you see some of the connection and disparities, but also uh, the unique culture that are in those spaces and places. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's what we take for granted. And I think for us, 
especially post Katrina, um, whether it's because of gentrification or people not coming back because they found up uh, other opportunities elsewhere. Uh, you just see the, I guess the culture of the city changing, you know, and even us as culture bearers, we talk about this, how we feel that our cultures used to be a mystique thing. You didn't see Indians everywhere. You didn't see baby dolls everywhere, but now you see them on beer cans or on posters on this, that, and other mm. doing parties and stuff because they need to make money to afford the cost of living that's here. And plus out of towners think it's a, a, a entertainment, not realizing this is a sacred mm -hmm. culture. So it's mm. that catch 22 that we're seeing happening with the city. Mm. All right. I'm going to make you very uncomfortable right now. Okay. So um, you have spoken all over the country. You have spoken to, I mean, by this point, you've spoken to millions of youth. Um, and so it's got to be in the millions. It's got to be, right? So you you, you, you spent well over 20. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, I'm sure you did. You, so you spent well over, what, 20, 25 years speaking to youth. Um, yeah, today, yeah, this so year, you, our 25th anniversary of full-time ministry. So there you go. So 25th yeah. anniversary of full-time ministry. Um what is it about, and I know that, again, I'm sure you've had the experience of folks coming to you and say, yeah, you spoke in, in Indiana, and da, 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 da. you're sitting there like, oh, cool. Well, it was great to see you, man. Yeah. <laughs> so with with all of that and with all of the great you know things that you've done, all the great words that you have spoken, all the spirits that you have helped lift over, the, uh, 20, over 25 years, what is it? that you have been able to sit back and say, Ansel, you're pretty cool. You, you, you did some really cool stuff. What is it that people have told you or what is it that you have realized about yourself that has helped you celebrate you, Dr. Ansel mm. Augustine? And you know what? I think that's the chase that you have with the mental health stuff from growing up. Keep trying to prove yeah. to yourself that you're good enough, you know? Mm -hmm. But for me, I think one of my favorite ministries, Eddie, over the years, yeah, I've spoken... You know, like I said, the Colts football stadium at that conference, 25,000 people with yeah, steps oil, and all man. these things and, you know, teaching people about, you know, black spirituality at these white conferences or affirming our black people when they're at these conferences or doing whatever. You know, that's that's powerful. But mm -hmm. I think for me, my greatest ministry over these past few years has been the work in our uh, prison system, whether it's to the young people mm -hmm. or, to the adults. you know, and when I said, you know, when you say, Ansel, you're you're cool, I guess is the emails or the handwritten letters I get from the prisoners in there that want to mm. form a bond. It's almost like uh, they're affirming me, you know, hey, man, we miss you. When are you coming back? Or, you know, oh, and you got to pay to send these emails. JPay, it's just how the prison system works. So I'm like, all right, I want to make sure my response counts because I got to pay for this to be sent back to this brother or yeah. sister. Um, and so for me, I, it just means a lot that whether they came to retreat because they were forced to come or they came because, you know, they want to just get out their cell or get the uh, unique food that's going to be served that day. Um, but yet they got something. There was a connection that was made. Um, and so for me, even when I was at probably one of my lowest points, uh, when uh, my engagement was broken up and I was living in New York those last three months, you know, before I could move home, the prisoners, not knowing what was going on, they put their money together and they sent me this crystal cross with a letter from all of them not knowing what was going on, right? Wow. You know, and it was just that kind of stuff that I said, all right, in the midst of it, and I said this to someone today, it's not about you, but but it's about what God does through you. And for me to impact them, and whenever I go to the prison, I tell them that story to remind them that you're a blessing as well, and you can be used even in these confined walls. 
Um, so that's the message I tell everybody, no matter where you are, no matter what status of life you're in, you can be used to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll come back to that in just a second, but all right. right. And uh, I, I need, I, I got to put some more Ansel trivia out there. Okay. So this yeah. is more Ansel trivia. <laughs> this has to be one of the, this has to be one of the coolest Ansel moments. All right. Uh-oh. So, so casual conversation with Ansel. Hey man, what's going on? Oh, I'm all right, brother. And then, you know, we're going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just came for free and we cash money before the concert. And I'm like, wait, you were what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here's a band <laughs> who <laughs> he he is so good at nourishing souls <laughs> that before going on stage, this dude to says a prayer <laughs> to back that thing up. <laughs> we we lifted the Lord up <laughs> at the blank blank. <laughs> it, it's Ansel. Sing a prayer with the cash money players. <laughs> yep, sure enough. Yeah, uh, and you know, and how, do, goes, how, how does one get that gig? How do, wait a minute. I, I, bro, <laughs> it, it's crazy, man. Um, where, and I'm trying to think of the event. Oh, it was Lil Louisiana Fest, the first one. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, Manny Fresh and all them knew us from Q93. The you know, yeah, being yep. out and about, and um, you know, remember. I would be the one, like I said, that would show up to work with the Bible, you know, just cause, and you know, when I wasn't doing anything, you know, either I was studying and if I didn't feel like studying, I was reading the Bible, you know, not that I was holier than anybody, but it was just what it was. And so me and Manny developed this friendship over the years. And so whenever he would see me anywhere, he's like, Hey, preach, come pray with me. And so mm. room full of people, they might be high, they might be non, you know, faith drill, they might be whatever. But all of a sudden in that moment, because Manny asked me to pray, you know, they took it as something that was serious, right? And wow. so I just took that opportunity to evangelize. I think the coolest thing was his 50th birthday party at the Fillmore. It was a surprise mm-hmm. birthday party. You know, I went there early with my partner to help set up and different things like that. I'm in the back by the bar, you know, people make, giving speeches and stuff like that. You know, um, you know, everybody taller than we're not the tallest brothers. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> you know, I'm looking through the cracks, you know, trying to see what's going on. People giving speeches and stuff. And they were ready for him to cut the cake. He said, no, I want uh, preach to come pray for me. I thought he was talking about his wife who's a minister or his wife or his wife's pastor. No, he said, we're preaching. And then uh, Brandon B. Mike Odoms, he was standing next to me, you know, cause he could see everything. He looked down at me like preach. I think he's talking to you. Right. <laughs> and I, like, you so I went around the corner and sure enough, he said, yeah, come pray. And so in front of all these people during this moment, whether they were Instagramming, you know, radio, uh, TV, music execs, TV people, whoever, we just had this moment of prayer for the people that were there. And then sure enough in true ministry fashion, after the prayer was done, I go sit on the couch and mind my business. It turned into a, a therapy counseling session to people that wanted to ask questions about faith. You know, and it just happens, bro. You know, uh, that's how it was when we did the ice cold entertainment parties. I'm at the front door talking to people about faith and stuff like that. However, it is. And I'm not ashamed of it. You know, I'm not going to yeah. force it on anybody. But I think at the end of the day, because I don't come across that way, they're open to having those conversations. So. <laughs> So that is how, so, and it, and the thing that was so funny, this, this was just, this was a funny moment. So just back in November, Ansel and I went to, um, the 35th anniversary celebration of the chapter where we initiated Roe Epsilon at uh, Loyola and just casually, he's telling the brothers in the chapter, he's like, oh yeah, yeah. You know. Manny and uh, Juvie and all them used to come hang out at Loyola, and they were just like, what? Why? Yeah. And they were so geeked out about it. 
the parties we used to have. It was the city would come to the alpha parties or ice cold entertainment parties at yep. Tulane, uh, Kendall Cram, or Loyola St. Charles Room, or yep. uh, at the Hyatt. Is it the Hyatt? Well, it was one of the places on Canal, but yeah. Or the municipal auditorium. Oh, yeah, uh, it was funny. Uh, Hilton, the Hilton? No, y'all did parties at the Hilton or the Marriott? No, no, Sheraton. no. It wasn't that far down. It was right there at the foot of Canal. Uh, oh, that's the Hilton. What, Radisson. Radisson. It was the Radisson. Oh, the Radisson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And so, and the municipal auditorium, it was funny. Whenever you walk in, you could find Baby because all he had to do was smile and the lights would hit it. His <laughs> <laughs> it, it was fun, man. It was just fun. It was just, you know, a fun time. We didn't know what we were doing. We were college students. Just trying to make money to pay our dues, you know, uh, for chapter yeah. dues. And we ended up building this empire at that time period. So, um, oh wait, no, okay, wait. So let's be clear. All right, did you have to? Did you ever pray with anybody at Freaknik? You ever went to Freaknik? I just want to know if you're gonna be in the documentary. No, I will not be in the documentary. <laughs> and if it is a person that looks like me, that is younger with hair and slimmer, that's my twin. That's Pansel. <laughs> <laughs> so, last question. All right, let's say, Ansel, that you are a skywriter mm-hmm. and you can write one message for the entire nation to see. Mm-hmm. What would that message be? Skywriter message. People look up and they see this sign in the heavens. It would probably be chase that dream. And if it's mm. for the world, people will probably be chase that dream. <laughs> you heard me? Yeah, I'll chase that dream, brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, listen, I, I will tell you this, um, uh, because because you you need to hear this, and this needs to be said publicly to you that you are number one. You're the most giving person. Um, you know, you are someone who you help a lot of people hold their lives together man and Mm -hmm. and i think what is the the coolest thing about you is that no matter if even if you're not there physically with somebody you're always there because you play such an important role in so many people's lives so celebrate that about yourself celebrate the fact that you are a giver um and that uh that you are a damn good friend and so it is a pleasure to have you as a friend definitely uh definitely an honor to have you as a brother and thank you for coming on the podcast man i get i might get more than 20 downloads out of this episode hey man and look i'm glad the one story you didn't tell was your wedding night so thank you, you got <laughs> i forgot about that one no we'll <laughs> give that one under wraps yeah we'll give that one under wraps that, that's on the subscription plan for the podcast. All right. <laughs> God bless you, bro. And I love you. Thank you, brother. Love you. And many thanks to Dr. Ansel Augustine for joining me on this episode of For Our Edification. More information about Ansel is in the show notes. So check that out. Past episodes of For Our Edification can be found at eddiefrancis.com, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm only asking you to do three things download it, give feedback, and share. For Dr. Holy Malik Francis, I'm Eddie Francis. Thank you for joining me on this episode of For Our Edification.